Today's passage is in Matthew 21, verse 1 to 11. And in the Bibles around our room, it's on page 826. I will be reading in Portuguese as a representation of the diversity of the people of God in the world. Because we are created in His image, and all languages and people are beautiful. I'm just curious to hear, to, to see here, how many of you represent more than one country here. There's a few of you. Good. I, uh, in the church where I come from, we usually ask that every Sunday because it is an international church and there's usually more than five countries represented. So this is uh, what we are about. We are all over the world and this is only one body, one body everywhere, body of Christ. I will say at the end, this is the word of the Lord after I read and we'll all say thanks be to God. And why do we say that? Because we express, we're expressing our gratitude for God's instructions, powerful instructions to us and his love letter to each one of us. And then I will read in English. So Portuguese and English. Here we go. A entrada triunfal. Quando já se aproximavam de Jerusalém, Jesus e seus discípulos chegaram a Betfagé, no Monte das Oliveiras. Jesus enviou na frente dois discípulos. Vão àquele povoado adiante, disse ele. Assim que entrarem, verão uma jumenta amarrada com o seu jumentinho ao lado. Desamarrem os animais e tragam-nos para mim. Se alguém vos perguntar o que estão fazendo, digam apenas, o Senhor precisa deles e vos devolverá de imediato. Isso aconteceu para cumprir o que foi dito por meio do profeta. Digam ao povo de Sião, vejam, seu rei se aproxima. Ele é humilde e vem montado num jumento, num jumentinho cria de jumenta. Os dois discípulos fizeram como Jesus havia ordenado. Trouxeram a jumenta e o jumentinho e puseram seus mantos sobre o jumentinho e Jesus montou nele. Grande parte da multidão estendeu os seus mantos ao longo do caminho diante de Jesus e outros cortaram ramos das árvores e os espalharam pelo chão. As multidões, tanto as que iam à frente como as que o seguiam, gritavam Ó oh Sana, filho de Davi! Abençoado, bendito que vem em nome do Senhor! Ó oh Sana, ao mais alto céu! Quando Jesus entrou em Jerusalém, toda a cidade estava em alvoroço e perguntavam Quem é este? A multidão respondia É Jesus o profeta de Nazaré, da Galileia. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Blessed is who who comes in the name of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your modeling obedience to us. We thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice that you made by coming down to earth to expose us to your great humility and love for us on earth. May we today come with an open heart 
open ear and open eyes to fully receive the message that you have for us through Pastor Shea, over whom we ask your blessings. We thank you in advance for the key words and promptings we'll be receiving from you this morning. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Amen. Please go ahead and have a seat. How's everybody doing today? Awesome. Welcome to uh, Palm Sunday at Living Stones. For those of you who may be visiting with us, maybe it's your first time, maybe you haven't been here in a while, my name is Shay. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Stones. And uh, I was telling the first service, I had an opportunity to go down and preach at our Carson location. Living Stones has five different locations across northern Nevada. And one of those is down in Carson City. And so I was down there last week. And uh, as awesome as it was to get to preach down there, man, I missed y'all. It's, it's good to be back. Like, this is, this is kind of home. And I love seeing y'all. I love seeing your faces. Um, I love Dwayne messing with me. Like, I missed that in the morning. So, <laughs> But, uh, no, we, um, if you were with us for the last few weeks, we were going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And we finished that up last week. And now... We're entering into Holy Week, and so for the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to be looking at Jesus, like who was this man um, who we take our name after as Christians, and we're, we're naming this, this, this next couple of weeks in our sermon series, The Real Jesus, and so it's an opportunity for us to closely examine the historical person and work of Jesus through three distinct lenses. Uh, we have today, which is Palm Sunday, we're going to be looking at Jesus the prophet. And we're going to see how Jesus is the embodiment of God's word, the embodiment of God's truth. And we're really going to dive into that today. On Good Friday, Pastor Kyle mentioned Good Friday, we're actually going to be looking at Jesus the criminal. And with, with us calling him a criminal, we're actually saying Jesus was made as if he was a criminal uh, to suffer on our behalf, to take the full wrath that we actually deserve from God, uh, but he took it on our, on our behalf so that we didn't have to. Uh, and then we enter into Sunday morning on Easter, and we're going to be looking at Jesus the Lord. And we're going to see how Jesus proves himself to be God in the flesh uh, by raising from the dead, uh, proving that even death itself doesn't have mastery over our Lord. Uh, that there's nothing that's higher than God, not even death itself. Uh, he truly is the Lord of all. Amen? Amen. And so, like I was saying, today is Palm Sunday. And as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, one of the things that caught, kept popping up to me is like, how much we need truth in our lives. Like, I feel like our souls, they just they need truth. Um, and it got me to thinking back when I was a young man, I was probably 19 years old, I had just joined the military. And uh, I was up in Washington State doing some training up there. And I needed to get to my first duty station in California. And so I was, I was searching around to, to buy a car, and I couldn't find one. And so I found myself at a, at a used car lot. And um, the lady there was like, I know you're searching for a car. How about I just sell you mine? I was like, oh, that'd be awesome. What kind of car is it? She said, a Plymouth Neon. I was like, that sounds great. Let me see it. And it's a nice looking car. It was all shiny and new. It was red. So, you know, there's all those threats of tickets. 
And uh, I was like, this is great for a 19-year-old who drives way too fast. And uh, I called my mom because uh, I'm 19 years old with no credit. And I'm like, Mom, I need you to co-sign on this awesome car. She said, what kind of car is it? I said, a Plymouth Neon. She's like, okay. Uh, how much do they want for it? And this is a two-year-old car. I said, 10 grand. Screaming deal, right? She's like, I would, I would look around. I'm like, no, mom, you don't understand. This lady is so nice. She has to be telling me the truth. You know, I didn't know anything about Kelly Blue Book at the time to realize I was way overpaying, like almost two grand more than I should have. Um, long story short, I got the car. <laughs> it failed like a couple years later. But hey, I was in need of truth. And I thought that the woman that was right in front of me was giving the truth. But it turns out, just like everything else in this world, uh, truths sometimes come in half-truths. Sometimes you don't get the full story of what something is, and it ultimately ends up being a lie because it leads you in the wrong direction. And as I was approaching the text today in Matthew chapter 21, uh, that's what I took into my thoughts, how much you're in truth that we actually need to be. Like we actually need a truth and a truth that doesn't come from ourselves. It doesn't come from the world. We need a truth that comes from heaven. And the triumphant entry of Christ, typically when we look at it, we, we look at it in the lens of Christ coming in as this triumphant king who's coming in to, to set up his kingdom. It's almost like his inauguration. But today we're going to approach it a little bit differently and look at it as Jesus, as the coming promised prophet. And so if you didn't grab a Bible when Rowena was reading, uh, go ahead and grab a Bible. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. If you don't own a Bible and you're here and, and you're like, well, I would love to have a Bible, take the one that's on the seat next to you. That's, that's why we give at this church. One of the reasons why uh, we are so faithful in giving is because we know people need the word of God because ultimately this is the source of, of truth. This, this is God's word to us that is, it, it is nothing but true. It's the only way that we know that God is who he says he is. And so go ahead. If, if you're grabbing one of those Bibles, we're going to be on page 826. And we're going to go through the text. But here's the thing. There's a lot of symbolism in this text. And uh, I want to walk us through it really quickly before we get too deep in. So let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem... And came to Bethphage. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that. Y'all don't judge me. Um, he came to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. I'm going to stop there. Um, Jesus is actually, what's happening here is he's fulfilling this ancient prophecy from the prophet Zechariah. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, here's the Bible. It's, it's broken into two halves. Um, but this ultimately is is one story of God. It's two halves, but it tells one story. It's broken into the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament makes this case that people are in need of a Savior. 
And it takes the majority of the Bible to set up all these different stories about the, the, the depravity of man and how man kind of has strayed away from God and how desperately he is in need. And then the Old Testament closes out and the New Testament opens up and it's actually the revelation of that Savior. It's the, it's the revealing of that man of God who's going to come and save people from the holes that they found themselves dug in. And so in the Old Testament, there's, there's all kind of books in the Old Testament. There's, there's historical books, there's, there's wisdom and, and, uh, and praise books, there's uh, prophetic books. And one of those prophetic books is the book of Zechariah. And in this text that we, that we get this prophecy from, Zechariah is talking about uh, God sending someone who was going to save his people. So Zechariah's main point from that text, which, by the way, is written five centuries before Jesus was even born, was to rekindle Israel's excitement. They were, they were coming back uh, into their homeland after being captive in Babylon for, for many years. And really, they were almost in a spiritual slumber. And so Zechariah said, wake up. Your coming king is coming to you. He's going to be riding on a donkey. And one of the reasons people were so excited when they saw Jesus riding in is because they thought this was the fulfillment of what Zechariah was talking about. They thought that this coming king was going to come and he was going to protect them from, from foreign invasion, from foreign captivity. And then we look at verse 7. It says, they, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. So I actually had to look this up. It's not like Jesus was straddling two donkeys. He was actually just sitting on, on the colt. And uh, the, the disciples put down their cloaks and he sat on the cloaks, not two donkeys. That, that took me, this was an all-week thing for me, y'all. Come on. So, uh, but here's the symbolism in that. Typically when a king would come into town, it it all depended on how he was coming into town. It all depended on what he was riding in on. If the king came into town and he was riding on a horse, they would have seen that as a war horse. This king is coming to conquer the entire town. And so if a king was riding in on a horse, all the people were afraid, but Jesus is riding in on a donkey. And riding in on a donkey, the symbolism there is he's coming to bring peace. Peace instead of conquest. And then verse 8 says, most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Uh, the symbolism of spreading their cloaks on the road was actually them saying to this coming king, we're willing to submit to your rule. We're okay with that. Like we, 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 we welcome you to come and rule over us. And then as they cut branches, uh, we know in some other texts that it was palm branches, they would either lay those down on the road or they would wave them in the air. And what that was a symbol of, it was a, it was a symbol of Jewish nationalism. It was, it was them celebrating the coming king. Uh, think of it like if, if one of our Olympians wins an Olympic event and the people in the crowd are, are waving their American flags. Or if there's, if there's a, a parade and people are throwing confetti or a wedding, they're throwing rice. Or if you're in the WWE, they're playing your theme song as you're riding in, right? This is the type of celebration and excitement that the people had as, as Jesus was coming into town. And they were saying, finally, we can shake off all this foreign tyranny and we can be a nation again under the, God, under the, the rule and authority of God. So they were actually looking forward to it. And then verse 9 says, 
and the crowds that went before him that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, as they were saying that, they're actually quoting Psalm 18. You can go and look it up. It's verses 25 to 26. And what this was, this was a song that people would use. Uh, they, they would sing it as, as a group of people when they would have like their Passover celebrations. Um, for this Lent season, I was, I was fasting from, uh, from red meats mostly, but uh, red meat and pork and, and fast food and all this kind of stuff. And uh, just yesterday, uh, we gathered some friends together, and we had a Passover celebration. And man, I got to tell you, it was so exciting um, to be able to sit down with people and, and just have meat. You don't realize how much you miss certain things until you can't have them. Uh, and, and my wife, I'm sure she was sick of me, like, thinking and talking about bacon all the time, because I'm like, man, I can't, I can't have anything right now. But this Passover celebration, this, this event that, that the Jews would have, it would, it would recall them back to their days when God brought them out of slavery in the land of Egypt. And when the, when the death angel passed over the people of God, and instead of putting the people of God to death, wiped out every firstborn of every living thing. And, and they praised God for that because that was the straw that essentially broke the camel's back with the Pharaoh in Egypt. And he let the people go. So they, so they celebrate that every year. And in this time, when they would celebrate it, everyone from, from miles around Jerusalem would come and celebrate in the city just for, just for one of these events. They say that the population of Israel was somewhere around 40,000-ish at the time of Jesus. That number would nearly triple for an event like Passover. And so people were coming from miles around. There was all this excitement that was happening. They, they were shouting, Hosanna. And that word, is, it's not something we use, but Hosanna is a word that means save us. Save us now. So they're screaming out in the streets. And they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. The son of David was this term that, was, that comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God promises to David, King David, that he would have someone in his lineage that was going to rule for all eternity. And so they're saying to Jesus, as, as he's coming into town, save us, O man of God, who's going to rule for all eternity. Come and bring us into your kingdom. Church, on, on Palm Sunday, I pray that that's what we are saying out too. Every time that, that, we, that we're in church this, for this Easter season, for this, for this holy season, I pray that we're singing out with the saints of old. And we're saying, save us, son of David. We need you. Come and rule over our lives too. These people were anticipating the arrival of a great ruler to deliver them from this Roman oppression. And while it is true that Jesus is the greatest ruler, and it is true that he was coming to save them, what he was actually coming to save them from was the root of why they were in bondage in the first place. See, they were, they were true. They, they, they were under this Roman occupation, but what they, would, what they were really in bondage to was their own sinfulness, their own rejection of God. They, they were in bondage to an enemy who was dead set to try to make sure that they didn't worship God and Satan. Satan is God's great enemy and our great enemy who's constantly trying to lead us away from God. That's who they were in bondage to. 
they're in bondage to a world that kept, keep trying to tell them truths. Let's give them half-truths and sometimes all-out lies. Jesus was coming to deliver them in church. He's coming to deliver us as well. That's why we continue to celebrate Palm Sunday. That's why we actually put palm branches on the seats. That was on purpose. That wasn't like an accident that somebody, you know, accidentally put those there. We want to remember the saints of old. We want to remember what they were celebrating. We want to cry out with them, save us, O Lord Jesus. Come and give us your truth. And then verse 10, verse 10 says, and when they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. I think that's a little exaggeration, but okay. Um, The whole city was stirred up. And they were saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. That statement, this is the prophet Jesus. uh, I think in some way, that was a little bit of irony. Just looking at the context of who was saying it, and the context they were saying it in, I think they meant it more as a jab. I think they meant it more as, this is that clown, that, that troublemaker, that so-called man of God from out in the sticks of, of Nazareth. It would be like us saying, that's that weird dude from out in Gerlach. It's kind, of, it's kind of our equivalent. But it was true. Jesus is the actual prophet. The man sent from God to be God's mouthpiece. The man who came, not to give them an immediate political deliverance, but deliverance from their true enemies of sin and Satan. And he's here, right here in the text, and he's riding in the town. He's riding in on a donkey, bringing peace with him. He's not bringing war and conquest, not this time. He's bringing peace and an opportunity to be saved from our sins. But this phrase, this is the prophet Jesus, this is where we're going to hang out today. Because it's here that I think Palm Sunday has its most impact. This is the prophet Jesus. And and we're going to ask ourselves a few questions with this statement. We're going to ask ourselves, what is a prophet? It's It's not something we're really familiar with today. Who is this prophet? And why do I need a prophet? Those those that's what we're going to be covering today. So let's jump in there. What is a prophet? If, if I were to put it just in general terms for us today, I would say that a prophet is simply a revealer of truth. It's someone who basically says, this is the way you should live, or this is the way you should think. Um, but for us that are, that are in Christ, for those who call themselves Christians, we would say a prophet is someone who's sent from the Father to speak God's truth, to speak God's word. And, and sometimes prophets, like sometimes prophets are associated with, with miracles and, and foretelling the future and things like that. But the major thing that a prophet was known for was to be a mouthpiece of God, to be a mouthpiece of God's actual truth. And they got all kind of attributes of, of different ways that prophets reveal themselves throughout the Bible. They were sometimes the deliverer of God's people. Sometimes they uh, would call God's people to repentance Uh, Sometimes they would tell of an impending uh, judgment. Sometimes they would uh, tell God's people about a future hope that they could look forward to. They would lead with wisdom. But ultimately, what they were were there for was to lead God's people toward God himself and toward the promised land, the place where the people of God could dwell and rest with God for all eternity. But here's the kicker, and here's where most of the prophets failed. A prophet in himself 
had to be sinless in order to lead God's people into the rest. And the people themselves had to be sinless in order to enter into that rest, into that place of God. The foretelling of future and the performing of miracles, they were, they were great. And, and the prophets did great things throughout the Bible, but really, truly, they were only signs of the validity of that prophet. And quite honestly, a lot of times, people used them to, to mislead God's people because they were easily counterfeited. So let's, that's, that's what a prophet is. Who is this prophet? Who is, this, who is this person that the crowd is seeing riding in the town that they would say, this is the prophet Jesus? Because here's the thing. There's been many prophets throughout the Bible, and many of them have tried to live up to some of these attributes, but only one has succeeded. That's the man Jesus Christ. We can look through the, we can look through the Bible, and we can see all kinds of prophets. We can start with someone like Moses. Moses, you could read about him if you've never heard of him or read his story. He's in uh, the books of Exodus through Deuteronomy. And Moses was someone that filled many of these criteria listed out. For instance, he was, he was sent from the Father. If you've ever heard how God revealed himself to Moses, uh, God, Moses was chilling out in the desert, and God appeared to him inside a burning bush. Now, no, he wasn't burning the bush when he saw the burning bush. But there's this bush. It's on fire. It's not burning. Most people would say, mm, he was burning the bush, definitely. But no, this is God appearing to him inside the burning bush because our God is a consuming father, a fire who doesn't need anything to be added to him. He is a fire in and of itself. Moses also delivered God's people. He, he called God's people to repentance. He warned them of an impending judgment. He showed them a future hope. He, he led them through the desert with wisdom. But ultimately, as he got to the edge of the land of Canaan, God said, you cannot enter because you yourself are not sinless. You yourself are still riddled with sin, Moses. So no, you cannot enter the rest. And after 40 years of leading God's people around in the desert, hearing them complain for 40 years about the lack of, of, of meat or the lack of water, and God keeps providing, and, and over and over and over, the people are proving themselves to be riddled with sin. They couldn't enter either because they were too sin-ridden. So Moses is not this prophet. And that's not throwing shade at Moses. God said Moses was a great prophet. And he promised to bring someone who is just like him, but better. And so the people start wondering, well, who is this next prophet? And they start looking for the next prophet. And we run into someone like Elijah. Elijah was a great prophet of God. Spoke God's truth, performed miracles, called God's people to repentance. But ultimately, as we look at his life, he could do nothing to, to clean people's hearts from all their idolatry. They still had all these statues set up that they continued to worship as if they were God. So this is not the man of God. This is not the prophet that the people need. And so we start looking again, and we run into someone like Isaiah. Isaiah spoke out against the sinfulness that he saw amongst the people. He showed God's people a future hope. But as we look at his life and we look at his writings, the whole time he was pointing to someone else who was going to be greater than him. So this isn't the man. This isn't the prophet we need. Prophet after prophet throughout the Old Testament. None of them are fitting the bill. So we look to the New Testament. 
The first person we run into is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a great man of God, sent by God. Spoke God's truth. He called people to repentance. But ultimately, he knew he was functioning as the forerunner for an even greater man who was coming right behind him. And actually, it was his cousin, Jesus. He steps on the scene. So after, after generations of all these prophets falling short of living up to all these attributes that God wanted a prophet of God to be, we see Jesus, and he fulfills all of them. And for, for some of you who, who may not be Christians, or maybe you never really heard the story of Jesus, here's what Christians believe about Jesus. Jesus is one part of a Trinitarian God, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Fully God yet at the same time mysteriously fully man. Jesus left the luxuries of heaven, set aside a part of his divinity in order to put on human flesh, to live under the law of God, follow it perfectly so that the people of God didn't have to be held to that standard. They could rest in Christ. In church, Jesus exchanged his righteous activity all of our unrighteous activity. He said, the only thing you need to do for me to exchange my righteousness for your unrighteousness is to believe in me. That's my invitation to you today. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. All that unrighteousness that God has written down against you is washed free in Christ. You could be free. That's the offer of Christ. But Jesus fulfills all these attributes of God, making him the ultimate prophet. For instance, Jesus is not just a revealer of God's word, a revealer of God's truth. God's truth. He is the truth. He is the word of God. The book of John comes along and says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word of God. Hebrews comes along in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, who he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the ultimate prophet. He's the embodiment of God's truth. Not just one truth among other truths, as culture would have us believe. Not only is he the word of God, but he's also the deliverer of God's people. He's, he calls his people to repentance. One of his, his, his main points in, in his sermons throughout his ministry was repent. The kingdom of God is right here. It's right at hand. Jesus warned of, of impending judgments. He, he showed his people a future hope. He gave us hope that even though he was going away when he was dying, he said, where I go, I'm going to go, go, go prepare a place for us, but I'm going to come back for you. That where I'm going and where I, where I am, you may be also. What a great hope we have in Christ. We don't have to continue to live within our sinfulness, just kind of hoping for something good to happen. We don't have to, when, when we die, we actually go someplace to be in the presence of the Father, not just pass into oblivion like some worldviews would have us believe. We could be with Christ for all eternity. 
All the pain and suffering and guilt and shame, all that stuff passes away so that all we can do is celebrate the fact that the lamb was slain on our behalf. What great news. What a great hope. God, Jesus, he guided his people toward the presence of the Father in the eternal kingdom. And, and here's where Jesus succeeded that every other prophet failed. Jesus in himself was sinless and also made his people sinless. Hebrews 4.15 says, but every, that, that we have a great high priest in Jesus who was tempted in every single way just like we are, yet was without sin. 2 Corinthians 5 comes along and it says, for our sake, he made, that's God, God made him, that's Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, when God looks at us, he no longer sees sinner, victim, perpetrator. He sees my child, washed and redeemed, justified, an eternal resident. We have that in Christ. We see from these texts that Jesus is the prophet that God promised that he was sinned all those years ago. The prophet that would reveal the truthfulness of who God is and how we can get our relationship back right with him. And I know what you're probably thinking. That's some, that's some crazy Old Testament talk. Why does that matter to me today? Why do I need a prophet? Why do I, why do I need this version of truth? Um, and I, I would put this to you. Everyone is a prophet in, in some instance. It just, it just depends on what, what truth you're delivering and whose truth you're delivering. Everyone is a prophet of something. And culture would, would come along and they would have us believe, we don't need someone to come along and give us truth. We, I can determine truth. Isn't that what people say? Live your truth, boo. I hear that. Do you. Can't nobody tell you none. Y'all have heard phrases like that before, right? Our hearts are content. They're constantly seeking after truth. It's, it's one of our greatest human needs. We, we need truth. And culture, they love to foot the bill. Like as we're, as we're out there, we're looking for truth. We're, we're looking for truth in how to raise our kids. We're looking for truth in, in how to manage our finances. We're looking for truth on how to have a better marriage. We're looking for, for truth in how to sustain weight loss. We're looking for truth in how to maintain those, those nice summer abs. You, you know what I mean, the, the washboard ones? I'm working on it. It's okay. Everywhere, we're looking for truth. And the world comes in, and instead of giving us truth from God, they give us their own version of truth. But here's the thing, the world's version of truth almost always leads us away from the presence of the Father. For instance, Wall Street. Wall Street comes along and says, forget what God has to say about managing your money. Just trust in us. We'll make you more money. You can get more stuff. Then you'll be happy, right? Something like, something like Planned Parenthood comes along. It says, forget what God has to say about sexuality. Just, just trust us. We just live your life. You can, you, can, you can just live your life in your own way. You don't have to worry about those pesky consequences. 
something like uh, some, some other religions come along, and they say, forget what God has to say about Jesus being the only way to heaven. You can earn your way to heaven. Just do your best. Things will work out, I promise. Or, or major news organizations. They come along and they say, we, we are the revealers of truth. You can trust us. We won't lie to you. We promise. We won't tell you a version of truth, give you half-truth so you believe a certain way. We promise we won't do that. And I'm not hating on these folks. I'm just trying to make the point, the world would do everything it can to push its truth on us and lead us away from the presence of the Father. Or maybe it's yourself. Maybe, maybe you're your own truth revealer. And you, and you say to yourself, I, I can create my own truth. I'm the captain of this ship. I'm the master of my soul. But I, I'll ask you, like, how's that working out? <laughs> how is it, how, how often has your version of truth failed you? The way you see the world turns out that that's not right. How often have we said to ourselves, you know what, I can handle this. I don't, I don't need God's opinion on, on this particular subject. I can manage this one myself. For instance, uh, I, I'm, you know what, I'm just not happy in this marriage. I'm going to just get a divorce. I could be happy all by myself. Or uh, this, this seems like a good investment. What's this coming? Enron? Yeah, I, I got this. Don't worry about that. Or, uh, man, that Dodge Neon sounds really great. Often of our own truths, our own versions of truth failed us. You can, you can plug in whatever you want to. I guarantee it's failed you. We need a truth. We need the truth. With all these alternative truths that are constantly bombarding us with half-truths and sometimes all-out lies, we need, we need one source of truth from, from one true source. And we have that in Christ. He, he is the truth-teller from God himself. And then this is the question that I hope we're asking ourselves. This is the question that I want us to continue to, to, to ask ourselves, even after the Easter season. Why should I accept Christ as my prophet? Whether you've been a Christian for 30 years or you, you just heard about Jesus for the first time today, continually I want all of us to ask ourselves, why do I need Christ as my, as my truth teller? Why him? And, and I would say to you, Truth is not relative. There, there is one truth. There is an actual standard of truth. But unless a person adapts their truth to God's truth, they'll never really see how good this news really is. That God is the one source of truth. Jesus says in John 14 that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I am the only way to enter into the presence of God. That's the truth. He goes on to say in John 8, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's freedom in Christ. You ever, you ever feel bogged down by, by the world's lies? You see, you see infomercials about skinny people running on the beach and you're like, man, I, I'm supposed to look like that. No, you're not. God created you exactly the way you wanted to be. 
world continually lies to us and we eat it up because we need one truth. And the message of Jesus is the truth. The central point of Jesus' message was to tell people about the coming kingdom of God. No longer do people have to be separated from God as enemies of God. No longer do they have to label themselves as victims or perpetrators. No longer does, does the destination of our soul have to be the torments of hell for all eternity. In Christ, we have something different. Jesus came to adopt his children, not to, not to bring them in as slaves, to bring them in as cherished children of God. Forget your past life. You're a new creation now in the presence of Christ. That's what God came to bring. He came to wash us clean of our fear and our guilt and our shame. Anything ever happened to you? If someone told you something that they said was true and it's, it just created this fear and this guilt and this shame in you? Jesus said, I'm going to wash that. You don't have to hold on to that. You ever feel like the world just abuses you? Jesus said, I came to wash all of that clean. Jesus came to welcome his children home into, the, in, into an eternal kingdom with the king of all things for all eternity. Nothing being able to separate us from the love of God. That's what Jesus' message was. That is the truth that he's bringing. God giving us prophets and is him telling us that there's an actual standard of truth. And when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, fulfilling prophecy and bringing hope to the people, it's him saying that he is that promised, Messiah, that promised prophet that God told Moses he was going to bring all those years ago. But here's the thing. His entrance into the city, <laughs> it's, it's also spelling doom for those who continue to reject Christ. Jesus says that whoever denies me before men, I'm going to deny him before my father. Be careful about rejecting Jesus' truth. And as we celebrate this Palm Sunday and we're waving our palm branches with the people in this story, it's not us proclaiming Jewish nationalism. It's us joining in with them. And we're screaming out with them. Come save us, son of David. Bring your eternal kingdom. We want to be a part of this. Save us from our own selves. Save us from this great enemy we have in the world and Satan. Save us. Hosanna in the highest. But that's not the end of the story. Because if we're placing ourselves in this crowd on Palm Sunday, we also have to place ourselves in the crowd on Good Friday. When the people of God are surrounding Pontius Pilate, and they're looking at Christ, and they're looking at this thief Barabbas, and they're saying, crucify him. And they're screaming it at Pilate. Crucify him. Crucify him. And Jesus once lamented. He said, usually when a prophet of God comes to the people of God and gives them a message of truth, those people reject the prophet and usually put him to death. That's exactly what they did to Jesus. They put God's prophet to death. In church, every time we live by our own truths, we do the exact same thing. We put Christ on that cross. We're in the crowd screaming out, crucify him. 
We don't want to live God's way. We want to live our own way. Every time we do that, we scream out with that crowd just like they did on Good Friday. But that's still not the end of the story. Because even when our fickle hearts were rejecting God, telling God we want truth, we just don't want your version of the truth. Even in the midst of us being direct enemies of God, 1 Corinthians comes along and says, Jesus died for our sins and as a fulfillment of prophecy. He was crucified, he was buried, he was raised three days later also as a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus died on our behalf, proving that he was the great prophet that we need to save him. It's the good news of Easter. It's why we're celebrating this Holy Week. Church, we need Jesus as our prophet because our ever-changing truths that, that just shift with the mood of culture, they're not doing anything to help us with our most deep-seated need to be made right with God. And that's what, that's what Christ does during this holy season. That's why he puts his life on the line. That's why he climbed upon the cross. And it's why death couldn't hold him down. We need truth. Jesus is the only prophet sent by God who can make us right with God. He is the ultimate deliverer of truth because he is the truth. He's the one calling us into repentance so that we can enjoy the presence of Father for all eternity. Jesus said, repent. Turn away from your sins. The kingdom of God is at hand. Do it now, Jesus says. And for this Palm Sunday and as we're entering into Holy Week, let's be stirred up with the saints that are in this story. Let the body of Christ be stirred up for the fact that Jesus came and died on our behalf. Let's be stirred up by the fact that not even death could hold Christ down. Let's be stirred up by the fact that Jesus says, when I go, I promise I'm going to prepare a place and I promise I'm going to come back so that you can dwell with me for all eternity. Let's be stirred up by the truth that's in Christ because everything else in the world, I promise you, is lying to you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Only way to get to the Father is through him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your word of truth. Thank you that um, we don't have to fall for the lies of the world. We can rest knowing that you would, you'll never lie to us. You'll never lead us astray. All the, all the things that the world tells us that we need, all the things that culture says, yeah, if you, if you get this, you'll be happier. If you, if you live this way or look this way, you'll be happier. It's all lies. And unfortunately, our fickle hearts fall for it every time. We need truth. We need you to deliver that truth to us. God, these saints were crying out, Hosanna, son of David. Save us, Lord Jesus. I pray that our hearts are crying out the same thing. Save us, Lord Jesus. Save us all the way up until the time when you come back to renew your relationship with your bride and take us home where we were always supposed to be, right in the presence of your loving arms. God, we love you. We lift up today being Palm Sunday. We lift up this holy week. I pray that our spirits are not just entering into this time of Holy Week like in, in apathy, like we just don't care. This is, this is the resurrection of Christ. 
This is, the, this is the proof that we need that Jesus came to do exactly what he said he was going to do. That's rid of us, rid of, rid us of our sins and usher us into the presence of the Father. I pray that we can celebrate that, God, and look to you for our ultimate source of truth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.